everybody, thank you so much for tuning in on this Thursday evening with Real Soul Speak For, an episode we're calling Born Guilty. Um, now, Born Guilty is going to mean something different to everybody, uh, depending on what your nationality is, your sexuality, um, your, your religious status. Um, people, people discriminate about a lot of different things, man. So we want to, to come to you guys today and just discuss, you know, things that are going on, not only in the world today, but things that have been going on and what we can do as far as solutions, um, to just help the state of the world right now, man. Um, the state of the world is, we're just in despair right now, uh, in a state of hopelessness. A lot of people just looking for answers. And again, we don't have those, but we are here to open up your, your eyes and your ears and hopefully your hearts to be able to receive other perspectives other than your own. And um, with respect to all other nationalities, as you guys can clearly see, we're all, you know, of the African-American or black or Hebrew um, nationality. And so we don't have a choice except for to talk about our experiences because we just happen to be black. We're not um, excusing or, um, you know, disregarding any other races or any other sexual orientations or anybody else that may have experienced um, this type of racism, discrimination, or just plain out hate. So we have some exciting people on the feed with us tonight. <laughs> We're going to start with the gentleman that you are seeing, depending on where you are, he's up and to my left. This is J.D. Gallup. A lot of you on here probably know him, man. He is a pioneer here in Florida, uh, and he hails from Augusta, Georgia, okay? Yes. I'm from Augusta, but my people are <laughs> from Georgia. I'm okay? from Georgia, too, so. She lying. <laughs> they are. We can't vote. She lying. Uh -huh. But, uh, <laughs> man, he's, he's out of Fort Valley, or you went to Fort Valley State University. Um, yes, Fort Valley. This guy is educated, guys. He knows what he's talking about. We're talking about almost 30 years now in journalism. He holds a, a BS and a bachelor's of science in mass communications, as well as a master's in global communications, global strategic, because you got to move strategically, global strategic right. communications <laughs> from FIT. Yeah, um, right. He has interviewed the great... Jesse James, civil activist. We all know Jesse Jackson. I'm sorry. Um, Jesse Jackson, as well as some of our, you know, Central Florida is known for the NASA program, the space program. And um, you have interviewed the Apollo 11 astronaut. I didn't know that. I guess I wouldn't have unless I researched you, but that's amazing. Bud Aldrin. Mm -hmm. um, and where I got James from, I knew I saw it. Where you get it from? Same <laughs> okay. Okay. So I mean, I see the relevance. Most people <laughs> have the opportunity to rub elbows, sit and talk, yeah. and just get that information and that wisdom from people like that. Um, can you tell us real quick how how that was? You know, 
not even, first of all, is this your first time living through um, or seeing these riots and stuff like they're happening right now? Um, actually, now, believe it or not, the earliest memory I have, one of the earliest memories, I was probably two years old. Um, and I was living in the projects in Augusta, Georgia, right? And they had had a, a major riot in 1970. And I was staying with, staying with my grandmother and we were in the projects and I just remember us getting under a table and also seeing her go to the window and asking people questions. I don't remember what she was asking, but there were people running and all of this. And um, later on, you know, I'd find out that there were tanks stationed around our housing project. Sunset Homes uh, is the name of the project. And um, it wasn't the first riot uh, and it wasn't the last, but I remember that one. Uh, it just, just wow. came to and to continue on with your bio, you got those experiences um, being a journalist with Florida Today and writing, uh, doing reports on sites for USA Today. Man, um, those, those are amazing experiences. Yeah, and we need your wisdom and your knowledge on today to just kind of spill over onto us. You know, the next generation coming up, we're going to have to uh strap up our boots man and get ready because <laughs> this generation is a lazy generation and as i was talking to isola um me and tiff last night had isola on the phone and um isola's 19 so she's i'm i'm 36 so there's a huge age gap between us and she had some just insightful things i need people i think people need to hear that so we're all age ranges Absolutely. right here you know you you have the experience and the wisdom you know we're we're trying to get it and it's everybody represented here so i think that is great isla hi tell us a little bit about you well okay like you why, said and, I am why, nice. and why this these cases that are going on with the amar arby's the george floyd's the brianna taylor's and the numerous names that have not been forgotten but we just can't remember to name them all like it, it's not enough paper to put all the names absolutely um, tell us how you feel about those type of things being as young as you are absolutely well first and foremost hi guys i'm isla russell I'm 19 years old. I'm currently uh, Eastern Florida State majoring in psychology. And it is extremely, extremely important that this platform, that we have this platform, especially for young people, and not only young people, but young Black people. Because yeah. oftentimes we don't see this. We don't see this dialogue being had where it's a bridge being made between the younger generation and the not so young generation. Yeah. We don't have that bridge like we used to have. So it's extremely important that this, for this to exist in the time that it does exist. Now, when we're talking about the Ahmaud Arbery and the George, the George Floyd, everything that's happening that has happened, it stems from something. This isn't new. For a lot of people that are my age, unfortunately, they're just stepping into the realities of what a lot of Black people have have gone through and what we have come through mm -hmm. and it's sad it's really sad to me that this is their first view of really what it is to be black in america let's let's call it what it is to be black in america for me myself grow 
not growing up in the South, but moving here at such a young age and not really having those Southern roots. I came from Brooklyn. That's, that's the North, you know, the North is different. When I came down here and I was instantly put into a black church, a Baptist church, a traditional Baptist church at that, we sang those same Negro spirituals that brought our people over when they marched, they marched singing. So we shall overcome. So instantly I felt this connection and I felt this responsibility as a black person, as a young black person, as a woman, as a young black woman, I knew I had an obligation and I, and I owed it to my ancestors to at least be the voice trying to educate. Cause it is so tragic when you see these young lives and I'm going to throw it back to Trayvon Martin, because mm-hmm. to be honest, that was my first experience of racial injustice on a young person for my generation for me personally that was my first experience with it and from that point going forward it's like that that opened the book that opened everything for me and it made it so clear that I'm black if I have never felt black before I felt black when that girl happened. <laughs> if I have never felt yeah. black before I felt black when that happened yeah. because it's all of a sudden it's like this huge magnifying glasses on you everybody's looking at you and being a black person going to school in a predominantly white society, I'm already a sore thumb sticking out. Every black history. You got strikes against you. Okay. You were, you were born history. with those strikes. Exactly. Black born guilty. And female. Born, guilty. born guilty. There was nothing. Let so me- I had to make sure. I had to make sure that when I'm infiltrating these spaces and I'm going into these places where it's predominantly white, I have to know what I'm talking about because if I don't know my narrative, that gives them the power to change, alter, or determine my narrative. And that's something we can't have that. That's it. Let me let me piggyback on that real quick and ask you a question. Do you feel like, because I hear a lot of uh, uh, adults saying they don't want their kids involved, you know, and I know that it's a form, I don't have kids. I know it's a form of protection. You know, you we want to, protect our kids from the dangers of the world. We want to protect our kids from being harmed and hurt and stuff like that. But are we hurting our kids by sheltering them and keeping them away from what's true and what's happening? They're not just killing adults. They're killing kids too. Things are not just happening to adults. Things are happening to kids too. And kids don't, I feel kids, because I've heard this, from other Absolutely. kids that I've mentored, that they'll come to me and talk to me about something. And I'm like, whoa. As a mentor, I want to have that dialogue with them and I want to create that safe space. But then am I stepping on toes? Because they're not talking about this at home. Right. Somebody's mama coming at me like, why are you talking to my child about that? We don't do that at my house. What's your thoughts on that? Like, do you feel like parents should, is there an age limit? For educating your child on real stuff, not just not just not just uh, racism, but sex, pregnancy, STDs, all of that. I don't think that there is pertaining to the protest and what's going on right now. Mm-hmm. I feel, and this is just my personal conviction, I feel like you should have the children there because if this is truly what is supposed to be a peaceful protest, why can't they be present? Why can't they? be able to witness history because 
these history books that we have in school are not giving you the full picture of our history. They're picking and choosing what they want to tell you because their job in the society that we live in is to create functional adults. And you can't function when you know the systematic oppression that your people have been through. It's going to, it's going to change your narrative. So as young black children, we need to be on the forefront. We need to be marching with our men and our women and our sisters and using our voice. Because if we oppress this voice, when we get older, we're not going to know how to infiltrate these mm -hmm. spaces and speak up when we're at a table full of white CEOs and you're the only black CEO. CEO. You're supposed to be the one to open the door for the rest of us. But how can you open the door if you don't know? You don't know what it feels like. There's something being there, the presence, the mist of being in all that, that the yeah. history books do not give you. So when you tell me, and I've seen a lot of things that say, why would you bring your child to a protest when you know it's going to get dangerous? You know things are going to happen. But if we take it back to two points, if we take it back to what was going on when MLK, when they were marching and Jesse Jackson, they brought their kids with them. They brought their kids with them to march. They had their kids right next to them. The whole family, it was a family activity. They went out and they all marched. And when you say these are going to get, you know, they're going to get rough, they're going to get, you know, possibly, they're possibly going to turn out to be these dangerous events. They don't start off that way. Let's bring it back to Bloody Sunday. We were not going, we were not marching to be attacked. We were met with affliction. Yeah. We were met with that. Everything was intended to be peaceful. So when we're showing our kids, you're doing the right thing. We're marching peacefully but look at what we're being thrown back you have to be prepared you have to prepare your children for this and I feel kind of like you're doing them a disadvantage by at least not giving them the raw uncut truth you can't baby you can't baby them forever and unfortunately being black in America you have to train up your child as a black child you have to make them aware of everything that may happen to them. As sad as it may be, as hard as it may be, as much as you don't want to do it, you have to, because it holds so much importance. Mm -hmm. yeah. I agree. And uh, JD, weigh in so, on that. What was that now? I want you to weigh in the same question yeah. with you regarding, um, is there an age? Like, how do you know when the appropriate time to talk to your kids? Like, how do you go about preparing them as mm -hmm. well as, protecting them how, how does that look well I think um the only example I have is you know what my mom did with me which was from from being a little child telling me you know at age two this is what you do this is what you don't age three and uh she wasn't afraid of me going out and 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 seeing things um you know for the most part you know like she wouldn't let me go swim that's one thing uh -huh. but she would drop me off at the library and say, go read, pick up a book. I don't care what it is, any kind of book, go read. So um, you have to expose your children to the real world. If you don't, if you don't, then they will shelter away in a corner somewhere. If their focus is on, on video games, that's what they'll think about. But you have to engage them in the world. If you Absolutely. live in a town that has a lot of history like Coco or Titusville, take them up to the Harry T. Moore site, the cultural site, Harry and Harry T. Moore. Take them to the Buddhist area, take them to NASA. You have to engage them, you have to show them, you have to craft the world for them, because if you don't, at any age, somebody else will. Exactly. Ooh.
That's true. I agree. And so to piggyback off of that question, um, so for me, it was the first time I've ever protested, right? So, and it was in Louisville because I'm from Louisville, Kentucky. And recently, it was the first time I've ever protested. And in my mind, the media had always said, they showed images and showed videos that these protests were so negative, right? So all of a sudden, now my image of a protest is, oh my gosh, is everything okay? I hope they don't start looting down here, or I hope I don't get hurt, I hope I don't get shot. And so it formed my, my, my opinion on a protest. And um, I don't have any children, but there was a lot of times where I heard my friends say, hey, we're not taking our kids down there. But honestly, when I went to the protest, and I've been to two protests since this thing has started, um, and it's been so peaceful. It's been such a peaceful in how the world has come together. And we are living in such a time as this, that yeah. it's an amazing time. And yes, yes, it's, it's tough. And yes, you know, people had to have lost their lives for us to come together, but we are here and like George Floyd, like they had a, um, I seen it on Instagram and the kid, his daughter was on her and said, my daddy changing the world. And so like, wow. yeah, said that, you know what I'm saying? This kid, she's six. She said her daddy changing the world. So why are we holding our kids back and not letting them see the history that's taken? So George Floyd, we don't know what his background is. It don't even matter what he did in the past. It does not matter. But what we do know that he has made such an impact. Breonna Taylor has made such an impact. Ahmaud Arbery has made such an impact. And Trayvon Martins and all the countless names have made such an impact for us. And it, we would do them an injustice not to protest. Why, why, why don't, don't be in silence? And we've been in silence for so long. And so it's time to speak up. Yeah. I was watching this video. I just posted it, I think last night or early this morning a baby and that girl could not have been any older than five or six years old okay. i'm pushing it with six and she was like no justice uh, no justice everything that everything with core. i'm i'm voting for her when she i'm not even so sure that <laughs> she's running for something i'm not even sure that she actually knows the the depth of what she's doing but i think something in her that either her parents grandparents who knows deposited and i think it is just manifesting until this beautiful little leader and activist yeah and i have to find out that young lady's name because i want to watch her grow i don't have kids so i just take everybody else's babies and love on them but i i want to watch that young lady grow um that was very powerful to me um so moving on what you got to so i guess what does because i know like the title of this is born guilty right so Pretty much like what does that mean to you guys? So for me, I know instantly when uh, we were coming up with this Born Guilty, it was, it, it reached deep. Like I literally had to take a step back and be like, oh my goodness. And I just feel like it's a stereotype for people um, that society has formed. So even gender, their sexuality, uh, religion, and people <laughs> consciously judge others 
based off of their views of how the world has viewed them or has shaped their thoughts. So I guess my question is, so what does Born Guilty, uh, we can start with Mr. Jeff, what Born Guilty, oh, okay, Mr. JD, I'm sorry. Uh, Born Guilty. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Jeff is good. Mr. Jeff's good, okay, cool. But yeah, what does that mean to you? Um, Well, from a couple of different areas, okay, so being born guilty, um, you know, I wasn't really aware of, you know, me being as a black person as a baby, as a child, right? And I told you I had early memories. Yeah. Not until maybe I was maybe two or three years old when we went to the barbershop, you know, I had a head full of hair, you know, not so much now, but a head full of hair. And um, I was walking to the, yeah, and I was walking to the barbershop and uh, the guy comes out and he says, uh, white guy, you know, and he was drunk, you know. I didn't know he was drunk, but I, I knew something was wrong with him. And he looked at me and he looked at my mom and he said, nigger. You know, he just, well, he didn't say nigger. Mm-hmm. He said, nigger. Look at those niggers. Right, you know. Hard R. You got to have that in there if you're from the South, you know. There's, there is a difference, okay, for those who don't know. Uh, and I felt scared. I felt different. That probably is what it is. I felt different. So I felt like, oh my, why me? Why us? And, you know, I sheltered under my mom at that point. So being born guilty um, kind of makes me reflect on the, the blackness. And you don't know how it is until maybe you get around other African-Americans, other blacks, people of, you know, African descent, and you talk about it like we're doing now, um, like the nation is doing. Um, I was on the phone with an attorney earlier today, a black attorney, and we just shared some of the same burdens, and we've been talking about some of the same things with everybody else, and we came together, and it's like, wow, we're all going through the same thing right now because of what happened with, uh, you know, Mr. Floyd, and what happened, you know, with the young man in in Georgia, Brianna in Kentucky. We're sharing the same thing. So being born guilty, that's kind of what it means to me coming into the understanding that you're different, you know, you're going to be different. The the second thing it kind of means to me um, is from a a religious standpoint, and it kind of goes into um, my my view of humanity. You know, you read the Bible, you read the scripture, and you find out, you know, Adam and Eve, and they ate a piece of fruit. And so after that, everyone who came through had to begin to really work on the relationship with God because we're in a, in a, we're in a fallen state. Um, when you read the scripture, that's what it says. So we have to repair not only ourselves, see, and this is the part that people miss, but we have to repair the other person. Um, that's important. We have to put the sparks back mm-hmm. together. So that's what that means to me. Okay, okay. You know what? I, I, I really thought you were really finna go there um, with the spirituality part. So, okay. So when you said that, because I never thought about that from that aspect, um, and I, I never used that perspective. Jesus was born guilty. He was he absolutely perfect. was. He was perfect. He was still beaten. He was still ridiculed. Yeah. He was still talked about and accused by his own people <laughs> that was around him, right. walking right. with him, seeing him in all of his perfection. Every single day, they still lied on this man. They still turned him into the police. But 
he still had to die for something that he mm. didn't even do. Mm-hmm. He still had to die for that. Yeah. Yes. And it's not, it wasn't about him. It was very clear, it was never about him, so to speak. It was about him saving humanity. Right. Okay? Absolutely. So when you put that spiritual aspect with the Ahmaud Arbery's, the Trayvon Martins, the Endless Names, George Floyd, they died not in vain. Absolutely. Almost, and I, and I don't mean to be insensitive when I say this. I, I'm not being insensitive at all. But they died for a purpose. Yeah. Uh, a greater purpose for, you know, the bigger picture. And, and yeah. man, to, make, to bring equality and change to mm-hmm. humanity, to salvage the rest of yeah. humanity that is left. And to, you know, so that, I never, wow, I never thought about it like that at all. Yeah. And and sometimes you don't know that you are uh, fulfilling a purpose by helping somebody else, but that may be the sole purpose why you were, I'm not saying it in these cases, might be why you're put on this earth and and, and, and you're walking with us. So in a sense, um, when they died, they died to a greater cause. Martin Luther King uh, the Kennedys, any of them, they may not have had perfect lives, but when they died, they were perfected in their mission to to help others, whether they knew it or not. So right. it's true. Yeah. Isley, you have anything to add to that particular? Yeah, so like, what does born guilty mean to you, Isley? Um, well, before, even before Crystal asked me to be a part of the live, as soon as you guys posted that you were doing the video, the, the live, I immediately knew I was going to attend. I knew I was going. It didn't matter what was happening. I knew I was going to be in there because just that caption alone, that title just did something for me. Just born guilty. That is a big statement. That statement holds weight. It's very heavy, especially in the climate that we're in. So instantly, when I think of born guilty, I immediately think of anybody that's born in an oppressive system an oppressive state where they cannot truly be great. Mm-hmm. We use that term a lot, but do we really know what it means to be great? Oh. Mm. Do let's let's get let's get to it because there's a lot of people who are standing in the paint right now, but don't really know what they're standing for. They really don't know. So when I think of, okay, I'm born guilty. How can can I can I progress like my counterpart? Can I truly truly get to the next level as easily as my counterpart and the answer is no no because of a pigmentation because of a dose of melatonin that's what it is just a little dose of melatonin and I can't that stops me I'm born guilty because of melatonin literally because of who I am because it's been this systematic oppression that's been placed on me and my people that goes marks back 400 years ago like it's so much more to just even not even just black people alone, like you said earlier, Crystal, there's so many different forms, people who come in that are born guilty. And to me, you don't even have to be born guilty. Somehow you can be placed in a heritage, some kind of in a heritage in a cultural background and something that just automatically makes you guilty. So it's not only born guilty, sometimes you could be put into situations that make you guilty. You can be put into cultures that make you guilty. You can be put into religions that make you guilty. Like we discussed yesterday, Crystal, with the with the religion. Not everybody agrees. 
with each other's religion, but we do know that there is one religion. And I don't even too much like saying religion because that's a different topic for a different I don't, time. I don't but I, I, I mean, I'm using it for this purpose. Yeah. If as it pertains to myself, I when people say, "Oh, you're religious," I say, "Yeah, oh, they curse me like that." Right. I ain't no right. religious. I'm spiritual. Um, and and so I want to go there because this is real so speak. And you said we were talking about that yesterday. Could you briefly share with everybody um, what we discussed as far as? And I know this is you know we're getting back to somewhere, but um, just to let everybody know what it was that we did discuss as far as there being one true and living God. Oh, of course. So what we were really trying to spark on is that it's a unity. We have multiple different affiliations. That's the word I'm going to use. We have multiple different affiliations on what Christ is, who's Christ, different beliefs of what Christ is. But at the end of the day, we know there's only one true living God. Some of you call him Allah, some of you call him Muhammad, but there's one true living God when we break down, when we break it down. But due to what another person might believe is not right, because you believe, because I believe in Jesus and you believe in Allah, you think I'm wrong. So I'm born guilty in your eyes. I already have this oppressive state over me in your eyes because we don't believe in the same thing. But at the end of the day, it's one solid, it's one solid thing. And the thing that I believe in that no one could ever sway me on is that I know that there's a God who came and bled died for me there's a Jesus who died on a cross three days later he rose up I believe that there is a trinity I believe father son the holy ghost and nobody can sway me on that and that makes me guilty in some people's eyes so when I think of born guilty I believe in all these different versions of it it's not just black people you're not just born into it but you can be placed into it Okay, and again, I'm getting somewhere, but what do you say to the people who say, oh, Christianity, that's the white man's uh, way of controlling Black people? I definitely believe you have to know the word for yourself. I've always learned that if you do not know the word for yourself, then you give other people, like I said earlier, the power to change and alter your own decisions and your own viewpoints about it. You have to read it for yourself. I feel like everything was created by something everything was created in its way i believe god created everything but something there's an origin to it there is an origin to it but I'll tell you what the origin is because you you're beating around the bush i'm gonna tell you what the origin is okay go ahead girl and i believe this is my beliefs i'm not trying to sway anybody's belief i'm not trying to bring anybody to the christianity spirituality bandwagon this is my belief and i believe this nobody can sway that um, Christianity, wow, like you said, okay, people say it's the white man's way of controlling us. I think that just like they don't want us to generalize the police that commit these acts of brutality, just like they don't want us to generalize white people, just like we don't want to be generalized as black people, right. I don't think that they should generalize uh, Christianity. And I, I, I said that to say, I feel that Christianity, yeah, there are people who take advantage and who use it as methods of control, money, manipulation, and everything else. There are some straight up evil people who so-called are preaching the word of God and misrepresenting what God's prophet. So I believe that Christianity was, um, 
I don't want to say the word taken, but I believe that Christianity came from uh, the ideas and the ideology and the knowledge and wisdom of our Egyptian people. I feel like there is way too much evidence. If you research your history, if you look at these old, old pictures before they started changing them to look right. at those blonde hair and blue eyed white people, these people were Hebrew and Israelites. They by the sun. They are not light skinned at all. Okay? Not at all. Call it what you want to, call it a dark-skinned white man, whatever, but he ain't got blonde hair and blue eyes, and neither do the rest of them. There may be a couple sprinkled in there. You know, um, you'll see like the the, um, the Egyptians. I've seen fair-skinned Egyptians with the gray or the bright green eyes, but they're nowhere near that pale-skinned picture that has been pounded into our into our mental you know um by nature we are not we're human we're not creatures of faith by nature it is not in our nature to have faith mm -hmm. it's not we have to work on it we have to work towards that it is in our nature to believe what we see and believe what well you know and faith yeah. so faith is the opposite yeah faith comes by hearing okay so I, you know, I, I'm, I was just getting to the point that nobody wants to be generalized. Nobody wants to be put in a group of people, but how can you not, how can you not pay attention to, uh, okay, for example, you have, I, I have white people on my page and I've seen on other pages on social media or even text messages where people are like, I don't understand why people are treating white people so bad. I just saw this guy give a white lady a nasty look and he was just rude. And I was like, okay. And she was like, but that's not called for. You can't say what's not called for and what how we should feel when we're the ones going through it. So I explained to her, I said, okay, okay, I get you, I get you. You're right, you know, we shouldn't generalize. I said, but Look at it this way. If somebody is walking in the park and gets bit by a dog, mm. and then they go walking the next day and they get bit by a different dog, and they go walking the next day and it continues and continues, and every time they have an encounter with a dog, they get bit. Do you think that somebody is not gonna have an innate fear of dogs? Do you think that I'm going to approach a dog and be like, oh, come here, little poochie poo? No, I'm going the other way. I don't want the dog right. near me. And I'm not comparing white people to dogs. I'm just making a comparison because that's what I think of in my head. Nobody is going to keep getting bit without feeling some type of way. Yeah. By nature. By nature. Um, anybody want to add to um, I'll, I'll say this right here about religion, okay? Uh -huh. um, religion is a way to, when I say religion, I don't mean the Bible religion. I mean uh, religion is a man-made oh. thing. Oh. It's a way to control people. It's a way Absolutely. to um, uh, keep people in line, uh, like education, public education. Um, and I think the sister said this earlier. You go to a school um, and they're educating you to put you out to work in a society based on the rules that they've already set up. 
Um, you're not being educated to, you know, fully develop yourself. And, and to me, this is my personal opinion, in a public school setting. When you go to public school, what you have to do is augment. You have to put everything with that. You have to read outside of the lesson criteria that they give you. You have to go elsewhere, go to the library. You have to go research, do something else. The same is true with religion. Uh, the religion that our folks have adopted here or were given in, in America is primarily adopted from a Eurocentric viewpoint. Um, and so when people go to church, when people celebrate Christmas, when people celebrate Easter, you know, the idea of Easter, think about it, the name Easter, what does it have to do with anything that's in the Bible? It doesn't. It's actually named after an Egyptian god. So when you adopt what someone has given to you, you have to remember that you're, it's, it's to put you in a box and to keep you there and to keep you in an orderly fashion that that particular group would like you to be in. Yeah. So that's something to think about. I would say that with religion, you need to study, you need to show yourself approved, find something, right. research. That's right. Yeah. I, I agree. So, so uh, JD, see, I got it now, I'm a fast learner. <laughs> you um, did, you did. So I guess I have a question, like, as a black man, right? How, yeah. does, how does this make you feel? Like, where is your, where is your, how do you feel about what's going on with all of the police brutality and, you know, you being a journalist and having to kind of, you, you're having to report these things, like. Over and over and over and I over. I think I to get redundant. Very redundant. 300 cases, you know, and that has to be such, it has to be draining, right? But how does it, how does it make you feel? Um, well, um, it, some days it hurts. To be honest with you, it hurts. Some, some days it's draining. Some days, you know, like today my wife was saying, um, disengage. <laughs> as soon as you're done with your stories today, step back, go do something. So yeah. um, I find hobbies, I find things to do, I, you know, everything else. Um, but it, some days it's, it's just not uh, not so good. When you talk to the parents of um, a homicide victim, uh, it it can it can be triggering, you know, because like I've I've covered a couple of hundred of these, right? And to, to listen to their stories, to listen to their pain, um, it also keeps me going because this whatever it is, this is prob this is God's purpose for me to go and to tell these stories um, of people that. Others may not even, you know, they just see as a name and a statistic and they'll write something and go away. I try not to do that. I listen to people when they call me and they talk to me because sometimes when I talk to parents who've lost children or I talk to a husband who's, whose wife has been killed, uh, murdered, um, it is the worst day of their life. And so they need someone who's able to give that compassion in that moment. However, it's so draining that my energy goes there, right? And then sometimes it doesn't translate in the rest of my life. Um, I have to be careful to balance everything. Now, you talk about police brutality. Um, that's an interesting thing. I have to be, I have to remain when I'm writing uh, an unbiased individual. And yet I've been pulled over uh, like most of, you know, uh, the world I know. I've been pulled over. My first time being um, stopped by police was when I was 17, 18 at Fort Valley State College. I didn't know anything. I'm standing on the corner waiting for a white minister, right? And the cops pull up 
and they say, we, we see you up here on the corner. So we, we got a report about someone standing on the corner. Get on the hood. Mm. And even though I was from the projects and I saw that happen to everybody else, I was sheltered. I wasn't, that wasn't me. And so I'm laying on the hood and they're going and they're going under and they're doing this. And I'm, I don't literally, I'm humiliated. I don't know what's going on. The humiliation is compounded when the minister comes and he's in his car and he says, is there a problem? And all of a sudden they become very professional. Mm. The, the police become professional. And when I sat and talked to the minister, I was on the, on the verge of tears. So I have those kinds of memories that go through and, and, you know, but at the same time, I have to set it aside when I'm writing stories because everybody deserves fairness. Um, if there's a police involved shooting, you have to be fair. You have to be fair to the officer. Now, interesting, interestingly enough, one time I was pulled over, you know, I get pulled over, right? And I'm talking uh, to the police officer, hands on the steering column. I'm looking this way and he takes my ID. He looks at it and he says, J.D. Gallup? I said, yeah, that's me. And look, let me tell you, when you're a cop reporter and a police officer recognizes you and he, <laughs> I was like, you know, okay, I don't know where this is going, but do you know he stuck his hand through the, the, the window and he shook my hand and he said, I'm the one who did the shooting a few weeks ago where the guy was killed. You were writing about me. You were very fair. Wow, they gave me chills. Wow. Well, think about me at five o'clock in the morning, you know, and I hear that, right? And then he just said, now, go your way, slow down. <laughs> you know? Wow. So Do you have the, any experiences of being like pulled over? Who, me? Or anything like that with police? And that is not no one recognizing me. I got pulled over one time in my life. Like, let me knock on wood one time, okay? And I was scared. But none of this stuff had already happened. I just was speeding. Um, you know, I got a heavy foot. I was going probably uh, 50 in a 30 zone. And That's so, yeah, ooh. And so uh, the police pulls over and I had my dog in the car with me. And the dog started barking. And the police was like, you got a weapon in your car? And I was like, what? Like a weapon? No, I have a dog. You know, like, I didn't, I was younger, like probably 19. And so... Um, yeah, I was very scared. They gave me a really nice ticket. I had to go to Travis School, but I don't even know. Like now that I think about what everything is going on, I'm like, man, why did they even? You were speeding though. But why did they count? They had a reason to pull you over. I was. I went to go get some chicken for my family. I remember that, and that was it. Like that was my only encounter. What about you, Miss Icon? You know. I want to tell you guys, and this is the first time, I think the only other person I've ever shared this with is my dad. And that's because I had, I called him in hysterics crying when mm. it happened. And I couldn't bring myself um, to talk about it again with anybody else. And I'm, I want to share it now uh, because it's relevant, you know, as far as getting pulled over. So I'm a traveling makeup artist. I travel with tons of equipment, lights, chairs, tables, uh, suitcases full of makeup and hair stuff and all of that. So I'm going down to Key West, uh, travel every weekend. Every weekend I'm traveling. So I go down to Key West and I think I made it to like Marathon County, which I think is right, I think it's right before you get to Key West. But anyway, so I go to Burger King, grab something to eat because I'm hungry. I've been in the car all day. I'm almost at my destination. I'm literally seven minutes. 
to my uh, hotel. Pull out a Burger King. Um, I don't know if any of you guys are familiar with South Florida, especially down there. The roads are very, very narrow. There, um, there's a lot of one way. This wasn't a one way, uh, but you know, when you ease up and you can't really see because it's like trees everywhere. So I'm like, Man, I can't see. Uh, I needed to cross and go the opposite direction. I look, look, look. I can't really see. I ease up. As soon as I got ready to go, I see a truck, like an F-150, F-250, hightailing it. And I'm like, whoa. And I slammed on my brakes, and they went. And I'm like, shit. So now I'm like, ugh. Okay, I'm shook already. So this cop, mind you, I'm going across traffic, turning left. Okay. This cop is coming this way, going the way that I need to go. He opened up his window, stuck his hand out, stopped the traffic, put his lights on, stopped the traffic for me to get out and turn left. So I'm like, okay. So I rolled down the window. I was like, thank you. And I said, whoo, I wasn't never going to make it out of here, right? So I'm driving, driving, driving. Next thing I know, like this cop, I don't know where he went or how he even got in the mix of traffic, but I see him like speeding with his lights on. And I'm like, ooh, what he on? What he got to do? So I so said, let me get over, child. So I get over and he's following me. And then he's talking on his loudspeaker. I don't even remember what he was saying. I was already nervous. So I'm like, is he bullying me? So I'm like, oh my gosh. So I literally went maybe two blocks, if that. And I got back over, turned off. I turn off. This man runs up to the car. He's on his walkie-talkie. He comes. I'm trying to get, I'm like, let me just get my ID and stuff. As I'm trying to get my ID, he comes up to my car with his gun in my face. No way. Wow. Telling me, drop your hands, drop your hands, let me see your hands. And I'm like, oh my God, I was just getting my ID. He's like, put your hand, I'm like, my hands are up. Like, what do you, you know? So now I'm extremely shook. Wow. Okay, yeah. I'm on my way to work. I don't have a break. When I get there, I can maybe take a bathroom break, eat, so I thought, and go straight to work. I had on my work clothes and everything. So I'm like, okay, okay. So I'm like, I'm getting out the car. So opens my door, snatches me out the car, throws me against the car, puts me in cuffs. Puts me in cuffs. I am now, I am trembling because I don't know what is going on. And I believe the Sandra Bland thing had just happened. Maybe months or something, uh, not even six months before this incident. And so I'm like, what is going on? You know what I'm saying? What's going on? So then all these cars come, all these cop cars. You got people like you were saying, JD, they're coming by. They're like stopping on the side of the road to record me. They're looking at me. They're coming outside of the establishments and stuff to watch this big spectacle um, all these cops are there. And so finally, when he calmed down, it wasn't even him. It was the other guy that came. He was more calm. And so I'm like, sir, 
could you please tell me what is going on? Like, I don't know what is happening. Why did you pull me? And he, first of all, the other guy was like, where are you from? And I'm like, I'm from Brevard County. You know, I'm from Florida. And, and he said, where in Florida? You know, like, almost like I know that, you know. And I'm like, Brevard County. He was like, Brevard County? Where is that? I said, in Rockland, because now I'm mad. I'm like, because he's just being an ass for no reason. I'm like, in Rockledge. Oh, Rockledge, Rockledge. Is that even in America? Wow. I just mm -hmm. told him I'm in Florida, in Brevard County, in Rockledge. And you so now it's all of this, you know. He ran, he run runs my name. They check me, they check my car, and I don't know what or who they were looking for, but it came back, not me. He takes me out of the cuffs. All my shit is everywhere. I have to pick up my own stuff. They messed up your car. It wasn't messed up, but like I had to pick up my own stuff. And um, I go back to the car. He's telling me to like sit in the car. Um, I'll be over there to talk to you. And I'm like, okay, but it, it didn't happen this quick. It, it was a extensive. I'm just running through for the sake of time. I sit in the car and he comes back and he's smiling. And I pick, I pick up my phone. I had it clear. It wasn't recording, but it was on the uh, the audio. Mm -hmm. And my dad didn't answer the phone when I first called him. And so I was terrified. So I'm like, I don't know what to do. So I pretend like I had somebody on the phone and I, like I was recording him. And he's like, you know, I said, he was like, you can go. And I was like, no, I can't just go. I said, you just, why did you pull me? Yeah. Oh, you, you you didn't you failed to yield a right away. Uh, when I pull you, you're supposed to pull to the right. You pull to the left. I say when you pulled me, I pulled to the left. I didn't feel safe pulling to the right. And the law says that I don't have to pull over until I feel safe. I go to a place where I feel safe, and that's what I did. Oh well, um, they gave he gave me a ticket. What? And yeah, and I said, sir, I said, that's not good enough for me. I said, you literally dragged me out my car. You snatched me out my car and threw me in cuffs. I'm on my way to work. Now I'm in hysterics. And he was like, well, you, you have dark tint on. You expect me to see who's um, in your car with tint that dark? Could you imagine how I feel? I said, no, I can't imagine how you feel with a gun in my face. I said, I can't. I can't imagine that. I can only imagine how I feel. I said, I literally thought that you were gonna shoot me. It wasn't a taser. It was a gun in my face. Wow. You know, on top of that, I've dealt with domestic stuff. So all of that just, I've had a gun in my face before. It's not, it's not fun, man. And until people really understand how that feels to be dragged out your car for, and I don't say drag, I say snatch. Let me, let me, let me say snatch, because that's what he did. He didn't drag me out, he snatched me out thrown in cuffs, humiliated, and then you give me a ticket? And I felt horrible about it because I didn't fight it, JD. Everything in me said fight it because you were not wrong. But you're talking about seven and a half hours away that I got to drive and go to court. I call, 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 tried to get like a public attorney or whatever to represent me so I didn't have to make that commute. And they wouldn't do it. They was like, no, you have to come only until it gets to a 
like a certain point, like a arraignment or whatever, um, then can we represent you? But for now, you have to be here if you're planning on taking this to court. And it was just, everything was just against me at that time. And even one of the ladies, I don't know how truthful it was, but she was like, I'm going to be honest with you. The I looked at your reports and the cop that wrote it up, he's not going to let this go and he's going to show up for every court date and so you will have to fight for this if this is what you she said you could fight you can fight you know if you really believe that you were innocent in this you could fight it but this cop is a bulldog he's a beast and he's not going to let it go and i was torn for months months and months and months i finally took the ticket took whatever charge they had tried to, you know, give me or whatever, some little petty something and paid it off. And now that sits on my record today for absolutely nothing. And it tore me up because I'm not a person that gives up. I'm not a person that allows anybody to bully me, um, regardless of the sacrifice or the circumstances. I'm just in that, I'm not that person. And it hurt me to my heart. Um, yeah. So like I, I don't know I didn't know how to tell somebody that that happened because somebody's original or, or somebody's first thing is gonna be like you didn't fight it what you know here I am telling other people fight 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 stay right. vigilant stay diligent and fight and then I backed out and I, I had a weak moment and it was I, I felt forced to accept yeah. um the situation that I was given. So do you regret now not fighting? Or do you- I try not to have regrets in life, honestly. I try to learn from it. um, And it's just a mental thing, you know? Mm -hmm. But I I learned, if it was to happen again, I would fight it. Yeah. I believe I would fight it. That's that's interesting, Miss Iconic. Isola, like, have you had any encounters, encounters with police? I have actually last year when I had first got my first car, I was coming back because my sister, she moved to Vieira and I live in Palm Bay. Mm -hmm. So it was really late one night. I think I had just graduated and I was up in Vieira and I was coming back late at night. It was like 12 o'clock. So it wasn't too late. You know, it was still kind of heavy traffic on the road, but not too heavy. But I was coming back from Vieira and I decided to take Wickham instead of getting on, um, 95 because it was just too dark something was just like just take just take Wickham straight down it'll leave you right tomorrow so I have a heavy foot too I'm not you know I'm not you know I'm not gonna you know shoot it I have a heavy foot too so you know I have this thing when I get to a red light and people want to race me you know I'm just that type of person that you know if we're merging and you're you're in that right lane over there. You're going to wait for me to go. You are going to wait for me because, listen, this little Nissan is going to push. I don't care if you're the biggest. I'm like, I'm going to push it. So, at the light, the light had just turned green, and my foot, there was no hesitation. My foot was on that gas. And as soon as I pushed that gas and it started pumping, all I heard is, whoo, 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 whoo. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I've never been pulled before. Never in my life been pulled before or anything like that. So at this point, I'm frantic because I already know, like I already know, I have this preconceived notion of what police are, who they are, you know, what they do to people who look like me. I already have that in my head. So 
first of all, where I wish I could go back and do it over, I pulled into uh, Staples. There was nobody out there. It was no cars or anything. It was just me and the police officer. When he came out his car, I was already shaking because I was already nervous because I didn't know what was about to go down. I, I had no idea. I'm trying to turn on turn on my phone to put it to recording because I don't know what's going to happen, but my hand is shaking so bad. It's shaking so bad that I can't get the phone to turn on. I actually ended up turning it off because that's how shooken up I were. I was about the situation. So the officer, he, you know, he comes, he comes to my window, he bangs on it. I have my hands on my wheel. I'm not moving him off the wheel. I said, yes, officer, is there, what, like, what's the problem? What's the issue? He's like, I'll ask the questions here or something like that. He was like, I need your license and registration. So I'm like, would you like me to move my hand? Because I'm, because I'm not letting go of this wheel. I said, okay, it's in my dash. I'm going to reach for it. And I'm going to reach for it. Like, I'm being very big, boisterous about every little thing because I don't want this man to think that I'm doing something that's threatening to him. You know, I don't want to threaten him in any way. So I'm showing him everything I'm doing. So I go, I get my license, I give it to them. And he's like, wait right here, turn your car off. And I'm like, okay. So he goes and he does what he does. He runs my thing and he tells me, he comes back. He's like, and at the time, my car wasn't in my name. It was in my father's name. So he runs it. Everything is ran. He comes back. He's like, same situation. Because at first he was very, he had this whole demeanor, like, you you know, very, you know, kind of negative in the sense, very aggressive. And when he came back and he ran it, he was like, oh, you were speeding. Um, and your uh, license plate, your tag is expired. Your tag is expired. And I was like, oh, okay, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't aware of that. I'll make sure to get it checked or whatever. He was like, I should give you a ticket, but I'm not because this is your first offense or whatever the situation was. So I'm just like, at this point, I'm just like, okay, this could go one or two ways. I can get very, you know, because our instant, when we feel attacked, you know, you you get an attitude immediately. So I was trying to refrain from that. I was trying to very much bring myself down. And I was like, okay, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir, no, sir, no, sir, trying to do those things. So after the whole situation was done and he left, I just sat there because I was so shaken. And I called, I called my dad and I was like, I just got pulled over. I'm leaving my dad and I'm leaving her house. I just got pulled over. I'm on Wicca and I'm like shaking. He was like, are you okay? I was like, I can't die there. Like, did they pull a gun on you? You know, all, just breaking down all the logistics of everything that happened. And I was like, no. And I remember talking to him and I was like, wow, like, I feel black. Like, I feel, like, I feel it. Like, I've never felt like that. I've never felt like that before. I said, a, just yeah, a stop. There, there's, there's, no, there's no reason for you to feel like that. Even going into the situation, I hadn't even, I hadn't even pulled my car over yet. And I was already shaken because I already knew what the possibility what the possible outcome could have been if I wasn't trained. Let me say that if I wasn't trained for that situation, luckily I had someone I'm blessed to have had someone to teach me how to react in, in those situations. Yeah, so that was like my first experience, like with the police officer. And I've had some after that, but that one really set the tone for how I 
approach situations with police officers. And I'll be the first to say, it's not just white police officers. I do it with black police officers too. Because sometimes when you work for the badge and you work for these people who are over you, sometimes, you know, you, you do have a job. I'll be the first. You have, a, you have a job. Exactly. So you have to make yourself, you know, you have to do things. Huh, you have to do things that you sometimes don't want to do or that, you know, you don't want to be the outcast in your field. So you're going to assimilate to what's being done around you. So even with black police officers, sometimes I still, I'm still, yes, sir, no, sir, hands up, you know, I'm still all that. Yeah. I would like to uh, ask you guys, and I've heard a lot of people quote a lot of different things and these are people on news. Um, these are, I have some quotes from people on Facebook, have a, 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 a quote from, um, oh, orange guy. Um, mm. and even, even, even a guy named Ted Williams, who is known for representing cops, uh, legally, I believe that are involved in police brutality. But what do you guys, what do you guys feel about the rioting and the looting that is going on um, in addition to kind of like the, the, the super violent uh, protest and everything? Because there's people that are saying, okay, you know, that, that's enough. Y'all did enough. You can hush now. Um, there's no need to do all that, I heard people say. Um, and I personally... I don't condone the rioting and the looting. I, I don't steal. I stole a chili packet moons ago and I went to jail. I didn't want to stand in line. So I, I just stuck it in my, you know, little season. It was like less than a dollar. And they took me to jail for that. So I do not steal. So I, I ain't playing with it. Oh, girl. I, I don't do that. Ooh. But, you know, the rioting. A lot of people are saying it's unnecessary, and I want to know you guys' thoughts about that. Tiff, what do you what do you feel? So, man, I, I it's a hot first, topic. It's the first time that I've ever seen this happen. Like, I, you know, you read it in the history and stuff. Um, again, I don't condone it, but I think that people have met their boiling points, and so this is the way they express themselves. Um, not saying that it's okay. Uh, it's very unfortunate, but I'm not going to be like, shame on y'all because people hurt differently. Okay. Isla? I definitely feel like the rioting, the looting per se, not the rioting, but the looting itself, I feel like to an extent it's taken away from the message because when you look at these videos of people breaking into the Nike store and stealing sneakers and stuff like that like that's embarrassing it's yeah. embarrassing that that's because because this, this is what they're going to show in the media they're not going to show the peaceful things they're going to show the looting they're going to show these provoked things but at the same time i don't as far as the rioting these riots don't just nobody says we're going to go riot it always starts as a protest that turns into a it's riot let's put it that it, way it, it exactly by them yeah exactly <laughs> So when we're talking about the protest and the looting and everything, I definitely feel to an extent that it is necessary because when you are angry, you want them to feel what you feel. Yeah. You know, it may not be in the best way or the best form, but you want to feel heard. You want to feel felt. Like when I say I want you to feel me, 
I want you to that. Yeah. And I feel like, and I feel like when they went out there, that's what they meant. Y'all are going to feel me now. I wish they wouldn't have, if they were going to do what they did, and I'm not saying what they did was right. I wish that they would have done it in the communities that are oppressing you and your city. You went to black communities and you destroyed black communities that will therefore give you your opportunity. These are the people who are marching with you. These are the people who are trying to promote a better tomorrow for all of us. And we're destroying our own community. We're not getting anything from that because when we go and destroy our communities, you're going to turn around and ask the white man to help you to build these communities and fix them. But if we go and burn down their stuff, and I'm not saying that's right, but you want to be felt, you want to be heard. Why would you do that to your own community issue I have with as far as the protests and everything keep it going keep keep marching keep yeah. doing what you are doing do not grow weary do not grow tired because guess what you may not see the end result in your lifetime but you're going to see a lot of things change things are going to change when Martin Luther King and Malcolm X when they marched and when they did all these things and changed legislature they knew that there was a possibility that they would not see it in their lifetime but they knew that the effects of what they were doing right now were going to have an outcome on their children and their grandchildren and their grandchildren's grandchildren. They knew that what they were doing had lifelong effects. So we cannot grow weary. We cannot grow tired. We cannot get to a place where we're overly exhausted. We have to remember to feed our own selves at the same time as we're trying to feed the rest of the world. But do not stop because we're being heard. It may not seem like it right now, but we're causing there's a shake there's something that's about to happen there's going to be a break something is going to happen yeah and jd i want you to weigh in on this too but what i was going to say isla have you ever thought about because people are saying you know don't mess up the black communities there's a lot of people in the black communities that don't support anything black they don't support. Oh yeah, anybody. absolutely. They don't. They they turn a deaf ear and a blind eye to everything that does not directly affect them. And I feel that people just don't have like anybody. They're like anybody could get it, black, white, whatever, because none of y'all are listening. I feel like people are just expressing themselves, and these are impoverished communities and impoverished people you know they all they a lot of them all they know is the streets and they're not just black the matter of fact the majority of the mobs of people that i've seen rioting and looting even even the protests that me and tip went to together in orlando the majority of those people were white and mexican and hispanic and they weren't black yeah they They were not black and 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 you know i for one get tired of people only showing up when it's, I had my own aunt. I had my mama's sister to tell me why you care so much about what's Direct. going on in, in Georgia. Mm. And I said, because what's going on in Georgia is going on here, it's going on in California, it's going on in Kentucky, it's going on everywhere. What happens to me happens to her, happens to you, happens to all of us. Mm-hmm. What happens to one happens to everybody. And so I I just think that people don't they they're not they're they're not um letting nobody get out of this. They don't have any care about whether it's black owned or white owned because I'm saying black owned people aren't coming out to march. They're being quiet right. because they want to keep their white business 
They want to keep their white customers yep, and their white consumers absolutely right. happy. And I feel like they are just letting the black community down. Some of them. JD, weigh in. Oh, that's that's a lot to take in. Um, <laughs> but it's good though. It's good. It's good conversation. I, I, I'll start with this right here. Um, America was born out of a riot. Period. Mm -hmm. 1776. A uh, group of people got upset with the king, and they got upset because they were taking the money, but they weren't getting the representation that they wanted. In other words, they they wanted representation. The king wouldn't give it. So they went out, they got a few people, including Christmas addicts, and they threw the tea out in the, in the Boston Tea, you know, in, in, in the harbor. Mm -hmm. That's an uprising. That's a riot. That's how the country was born. So a lot of times, you know, we, we kind of miss out on history. How a person is born is usually sometimes that tells you a little bit about the life that they will be going through, you know. So riot after riot, this country has had. Um, and it's kind of amazing. A lot of people are short-sighted on history today because they, was, they sit back and they go, how can they destroy their own communities? Where some of the, the most major riots we've had in this country were other people coming in to destroy our communities. Oh, yeah. Okay? Mm -hmm. You have to kind of understand it. So we learned that. We learned that, you know, if they don't value you, then why should you value you? You know, and so you target your own places. And then the other thing too is we value what other people value. So we go and we look for the for the Jordans, we look for the Gucci. And by the right. way, this this particular season of writing, um, and and it will happen again. Um, they hit Gucci up on the, up in New York and Soho. Yeah. All of the high end shops. So yeah, they took it from the neighborhoods, right? And they took it over to where the rich folks were and they raided the stores. So it's, this is a very different season of writing that you're seeing now, which is, which is worrying people uh, because they're literally leaving the, the hoods and going to the neighborhoods. Um, they haven't hit the suburbs and you know, God forbid. And number one, let me, let me also say this too. I don't condone violence, rioting, any of that. What was started as a good protest um, in many cases has turned into something uh, worse. Violence is horrible. Um, but to make the observation, the country was born in a riot. Riots have happened. Um, whole cities have been destroyed belonging to minority communities um, based on people rioting from the outside coming in. So um, this particular season is different. It's like you said, you have uh, a mixture of people. This is a transracial riot. You see more diverse people hitting the stores. I remember Rodney King, um, and that was the first time because I always thought, okay, if, if, if it's affecting someone in a minority community, I was in college, then minorities will be rioting blacks. But in that case, it was you had whites, you had uh, Hispanics, they were tearing it up, period. This time is even more. It's very different. Mm. So that's my observation on it. It is mm. so different. So I guess, like, overall, man, like, with, when it comes to protesting and, and the rioting and the looting, I definitely, I don't agree with the, the looting. But the protest, what we've seen in this season is it's incredible. They said all 50 states protested the other day so like we're coming together is bringing togetherness uh when it comes to that so i definitely believe our voices are being heard we're it's taking a long time right i feel like if we just stay together if we're stronger together we're so we're much more powerful together and if we can keep that mentality i believe that change will come 
the thing is though um like isla had mentioned a lot of people don't know oh okay we know we're rioting and looting and protesting because a black man got killed because of police brutality but beyond that like what you want out of this what is it that you're writing for what is it you're writing to see happen what type of change are you expecting to come out of this and people need to realize and i'm one of them i never used to fill out the census i would throw that thing in the garbage you have to fill out the census absolutely you have to vote yes. and saying oh well, i don't like him or him it doesn't matter it's not about who you like it's about which one is the lesser of two evils vote which one is the lesser of the two evils? You gotta vote for somebody because if not, that fool gonna win again. You gotta vote. We gotta vote. You know, That's the number one outcome of this whole thing is everyone needs to vote. Like our voices, we need to vote. And it's, it's not just on a federal uh, presidential oh, level everywhere. either. People don't vote for uh, local uh, legislation. People don't vote for state legislation. People don't vote for these little, all these people are making up you know the laws and everything yeah and and it's the bigger picture absolutely so what can we offer um if anything everybody what can we offer jd so i'll say this right here okay so okay so what we're what we're seeing is something that's probably closer to an uprising this is uh, this is pretty this is pretty big you talk to people who study international affairs and they'll tell you that what you're seeing in the streets of America today, what you saw at the White House the other day where people were about to go in, to, they actually got onto the grounds of the White House. Had they set a fire in the building, that would have been unique. You know, the last time the White House got set on fire was by the British um, in the early 1800s. Things would change. But what I want to, what I, I'm saying all of that to say this right here. So you have millions of people protesting, not even talking about the looting but protesting. So right now, if you notice, there's a shift in how people are responding. I'm not talking about just minorities, but we're talking about the majority. People are coming out, they're joining Black Lives Matter, they're, they're walking around, and it's all because of that video, that one video. And it wasn't, and don't take it the wrong way, it wasn't wildly violent, okay? There wasn't a lot of thrashing around. The man literally had his life, he was laying down and he was begging for his mother. He wasn't fighting back. Mm -hmm. I think that may have had an impact on people. And then he was, he was slowly just, just saying, please let me breathe. And the guy did not move. And the people on the sidewalk who were trying to help him, the police were pulling out the mace to spray them. You know, they, they didn't spray, but they, they pulled it out. So what you have now is a response to that. And people now have more power than they probably think. Uh, and I'm just saying this from my observation. This is the time to begin saying, let's change the DA if the DA is not working for it. If the prosecutor is too punitive, if he punishes us, and I'm talking about people in, you know, period, uh, let's change it. Let's do some structural changes on how police treat people, like the way um, you were treated. Uh, does it have to be that dogged? Do they have to dog folks out to that degree? We have to, we have to begin demanding changes if we want them and now is the time i'm telling you right. but it ha it's a very delicate situation so you know just wanted to make those little quick observations that's that's, that's tough man like that is so hard to like you got me emotional over here just reading yeah. that video because man that hit that hit so hard um yeah so 
what do you guys have to say to people who say um, writing has, and I've heard this countless times, I, I stopped counting it. Once I started hearing it, I was like, oh my gosh. People are now saying writing, and I quote, writing has nothing to do with the death of George Floyd. How do you counter that? Um, well, I, I'll say this. I think it has, and this is my observation. I have, to, I have to couch it that way because as a journalist, when I begin to go out and cover these stories, I have to put that aside. But my personal observation is that writing does do, um, it does have an impact. It can change how people think about uh, situations for the good or for the bad. So when, when Dr. King was shot and killed, there were riots all across the country. Um, Washington, D.C. was in more smoke than it was, uh, you know, the other day. Um, do you know, so in that, in that short period of time that Dr. King was killed, between that and the riots, they began changing housing rules. They, they, they shut down Wall Street um, for a few days to mourn him. They did all types of things. They said, we got to change some laws. And they literally changed it. One day, Dr. King is alive. He's disrespected. He's not even seen as somebody who's a viable leader. He shot, then they began making changes. And in the meantime, people are wondering, how can we stop rioting? How can we stop the people from reacting like this? And they began to implement certain changes. So it could happen again this time around. Um, the riots to a degree are connected to what's going on. Of course, people are going out there and doing what they wanna do, but right. the situation came about because of that. Yeah. Um, any, if anybody else, uh, also, I, oh, go ahead, Isla. I definitely think that George Floyd was a, it was a catalyst to something that was already boiling up. Because after watching the Ahmaud Arbery, like when I seen that video, it sparked a fuse in me that I have never felt before. Even see. Because when we think back to Trayvon Martin and Sandra Bland, we did not see video footage of it. We literally sat and we watched people take their last breath. Innocent people just die on the street yeah. for, for nothing, essentially for nothing. This yeah. man was jogging in a neighborhood freely because that's his right. He has the right to do that. And these people trapped him and shot him and killed him in the street. And then we look at George Floyd. He was already he was already on the ground. He didn't have anything. He was already on the ground. His hands were behind his back. And you couldn't let up off his neck for a little second to give him a breath. To give him a breath. He sat there and called out for his mother. Mm -hmm. Eight minutes and 46 seconds, 26 seconds. You stood on this man's neck as he took his last dying breath yeah that if it didn't spark anything i would be outraged i yeah. would be i would be blown back if it didn't spark anything when you see the inhumanity and you see how black people are being treated you can't you can't avoid it now we can no longer say well yeah. it's not left to suspicion yeah. we know you yeah. have video footage of what's happening. You could see it for yourself. So when we're talking about rioting has nothing to do with George Floyd, it absolutely has something to do. It absolutely, because now you see what we feel. And I don't know if you guys watched the funeral today, 
or took a second and looked at it. But during when the funeral procession, when it was playing, they were showing footage footage from around the world of people in masses Mm -hmm. just standing and coming together for a common good. And they were people of all nationalities. They showed New Zealand. They showed um, everywhere, everywhere they're coming together. And these are protests. They're standing up for what's right. And this wouldn't have happened if we would have not had these videos, if we would not have these things be brought to the public. And that's why I'm so grateful for social media. As toxic as it may be sometimes, it is definitely needed. It is necessary for us to see these things because you cannot, you cannot run away from what's being seen. You can't run away from it when it's in your face. So like, so I'm, it's absolutely I'm, necessary. It is necessary. And unfortunately, Louisville, Kentucky has it where, you know, it was a no-knock rule, you know, and so they killed Breonna Taylor. Breonna. Eight times, and she was asleep. Like, are you serious? So that that hits home tremendously. We didn't see Definitely. the footage, the fact that she was asleep. And everybody say, stay safe. How do you stay safe in your, I'm at home and I'm not safe, or I'm in the car, or I'm in the grocery store. It's just so many different things, but we just really want everyone to know, like, just don't lose hope in spite of all of this. I mean, it's, it's such a tough time to be in, and everybody's energy is very high, and you know, everybody is having boiling points and things, but just, just don't lose the hope. Cause oh my gosh, it's easy to go to a place where it's it's hurtful. Like I definitely cried, and I don't even know these people, and it, it I cried. Like that's your humanity. That's that's good. It's like even when you're talking about it, you know, and and me as a leader on my own platform, and you know, having to speak up on these issues and. Yes, I have white brothers and sisters and I have black brothers and sisters, you know, and so not everybody is not bad, you know what I'm saying? But right. for me, like, it, it was hard because, no, I'm not okay. Like, I'm not okay right now. Like, yeah. I'm hurting. I'm hurting for all of those that are hurting and it, it's a tough time to be in, but we gonna make it. Um, I want to say this. I think that people have to realize everybody is trying to isolate a situation and say, you know, uh, this should not have this response. Like, yeah. it don't take all that. It's not an isolated situation. Um, exactly. Years and decades and even centuries sometimes of built up aggression yeah. and oppression and I'm a visual person, so I always have a, a visual. Um, I had to, again, tell somebody, because I've, I've lost friends this past week over um, Absolutely. over being uh, loud and proud. And they're not white. They're black. Um, I, I've lost friends about posting videos. Somebody told me, I wish you would just stop posting that. It's traumatizing me. And I said, okay, well, you know how you scroll past everything else that I post when I have wins on Facebook and, and, and you know, when, when good things happen and you scroll by and don't like it, do the do same, it the same way. Do the same thing. But I, I, want, I, I want people to understand that it's not just a isolated situation. You cannot take a match, throw it in a forest and say, 
oh, I didn't, I didn't want it to spread. Like, I didn't think it, it, it shouldn't have spread. It should have just stayed like the little itty bitty fire. No, you incited that. And when you incite something such as violence and, and, and negativity and hate, it spreads. Um, it does. It spreads fast. And so people need to definitely understand that their actions are a part of that as well. Um, gosh, we could just go on and on talking about this, but we are going to wrap up. If anybody has, and, and lastly, I want to add, um some things just some ideas some thoughts maybe for people to consider people who are having a hard time dealing with this people who want to know what can i do what else can i do um to help like people that feel helpless like they want to help if anybody has anything to offer uh jd i'm gonna start with you all right so i would i would tell you this right here um get help if you if you feel stressed if you feel like things are going um, south, if, if you feel like you're, you know, just taking the energy of being upset about what's happening out there in the world and you're, it's, it's, it's turning, you're projecting it to folks around you, I would say get help. Too often in the black community, we don't recognize when people are going through things like depression. We may see things and say, ah, oh, cheer up, or we tell people, it's going to be okay. And that's not really the answer as much. We have to get into therapy. We have to get into talking to professionals who can, who can guide us. Talk to your minister. Um, but more importantly, make sure you, you do mental uh, checkups. Make sure you can take a break. Um, for me, once a week, I uh, said we have a day where I just don't have to worry about work. I don't have to worry about anything. Don't have to worry about going to the mailbox, anything. I, I, I highly recommend it, you know, that everyone check yourself. Make sure you're mentally healthy, emotionally healthy. Very important. Okay. Isla, anything to add to somebody who's just struggling with what we're going through and also, or um, people who want to help, like what, what advice do you have for people or any resources that you can offer as far as what people can do um, from whatever level they're at to help? Yes, of course. So first and foremost, I just want you guys to know that it is absolutely okay to not be okay right now. It is, it is perfectly fine to not be okay with what's going on right now. That is you, that is how you feel. And you need to acknowledge your feelings. Don't mask them, acknowledge them. But mm -hmm. if it is having a negative effect on you, like JD said, you need to deal with that because we don't want you to channel them in a negative way. We want you to channel them in a positive way. So as going down that positive way, whatever you do, whatever it is that you do, whether you're a singer, you're a writer, you're an artist, you're a speaker, you're an activist, make sure you're projecting your message in what you do. If you're going to paint, paint something that speaks up for what you are feeling. If you're a singer, sing something, write something, do something to so channel fine. that. Exactly. Do something okay. and make sure that what you're doing, that is also portraying your message. Make sure you, whatever you do, put all of you into it because it will help. Secondly, vote. Young people, your vote is so important. It is so important, and you don't even understand how important it is. The only way we can change this is by voting. People did not march for you, for you to not vote. They did not take those 
boycotts. They did not do all that for you not to vote. It's so important. Our vote matters. The black vote is what they want. If you don't see how they're trying to get at us, how they're trying to, how they're trying to get us to vote for them, all these little tactics that they're using, our vote is so important. So you definitely need to get out there, be at the polls, govern yourself accordingly to all these candidates so you are an informed voter. You're not just someone voting off of the sake of voting. Make sure you're informed. And lastly, to all my protesters, keep doing what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Everybody who's out there who's on the front line, if you can't protest for whatever reason it may be, make sure that you're writing, you're donating, do something. Because when you apply pressure, things start to break. When you apply pressure, that's when things start to happen. And they're feeling us right now. I can tell you that they're feeling us right now. And if you need any donation list, if you need to see what's going on, if you're a protester and you've been arrested and you need that legal help, if you go onto my page, Isla Russell, in my bio, underneath where it says Jesus is the plug, there is a link to Amanda Steele's website and it has everything that you are looking for, all the protests, all the information. If you're going to protest, how to protest, what to expect, if you're arrested, who to call, who can who can help you, black businesses, everything that you need. So please, please, please govern yourselves accordingly. And God bless you guys. Wow. Well, first and foremost, JD and Isla, thank you so much well, we ain't for there yet. Are we not We're there? giving people advice. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, I'm sorry, but I'm still gonna tell you thank you. Um again, because I'm probably gonna speak after this. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, like both of you guys said, like, you know, take breaks and know how to, you know, take steps back from social media or, you know, just giving yourself time to process these things. And like you said, Isla, it's okay not to be okay. Um, and find an outlet where you can express yourself differently, you know, and make sure that you are part of the solution and not the problem. The problem. So go vote because it's so imperative in such a time as this. But I mean, overall, you, you both nailed the, you nailed it. Yeah. Um, and yep, I agree with everything that everybody said. I do want to offer these things and I will um, post them some type of way. But for those of you who are watching, if you're looking for things to do, and these things came from credible people, this is uh, information that I've been pretty much compiling from Bishop T.D. Jakes, from Reverend Al Sharpton, from my pastor in Houston, uh, Pastor Keon, as well as from Sean King. Um, and I've been seeing it on some different media outlets as well. So these are researched um, and very credible resources that have been compiled. Uh, first thing that you can do, like we already said, fill out your census and definitely do your voting. Um, if you want more information in detail, there is a number that you can text. So for justice for George Floyd, you want to text Floyd, F-L-O-Y-D, to, to the number 55156. And if you want to find out more information about what you can do to help organizations that you can join, you want to text DEMANDS, what an S, D-E-M-A-N-D-S to that same number, 55156, okay? 
connect, connect locally to your local movements. Um, any movements in your community, uh, in your county, in your state even, um, that are doing things that you see. They're not just sitting back collecting money. They're out in the community. They're making things happen. Collect with, connect with those local movements. Um, part to, there is a blackout day coming up July 7th that the rapper T.I. put out and has pretty much went, I hear people from, a girl in Germany told me that they were in Germany before it hit the media, told me that they were in Germany protesting and they're doing, they're even participating, you know, um, I don't know how that works with the time and stuff, but anyway, July 7th is an economic blackout day. Um, and I'm going to say for the United States, because again, I don't know how it works overseas, but that day you don't want to spend a penny. So anything you need to buy, it's the same as budgeting. When you budget, you just take from one place and put to another. You still get what you need, but you're, you're controlling it. Okay. So we want to try to get a grasp on the economy that we serve with our dollars. Uh, you know, multi-millions and multi-billions of dollars. Um, so that date is July 7th. You don't want to buy any gas, any food, anything online, not a penny in anybody's stores on that day. Um, and assist other people with their healing. Like uh, JD, you mentioned, it's not just about us. Anything that I could do if I could, you know, be an ear or you know let other people know about the resources right. that are going on do that and lastly um link up with those people like sean king who are just powerful people in, in you know around and man sean king is a great guy i ain't gonna get into that but if you go to sean king's any of his page s-h-a-u-n king um and call he, he you can get on a mailing list which I am on. So every time he sends out an email, um, I get on there, I email and call. I haven't called yet, but I plan on it. You can email and call these elected officials. And they have, when you call, there's a recording because it's like, I don't know what to say to legislation or elected officials. I don't know how to speak their language. They prep you. When you call this num uh, the number, and you, uh, I'm sorry, I don't have the number. You have to get that. Uh, off of Sean King's page, when you call the number, they give you a small recording and they prep you, you know, for what to say, what not to say, how to speak, be kind, remain patient, and, mm -hmm. and, and hit them on a city, state, national, as well as federal level. Um, those are the resources that I use and will be using in the future moving forward. And those are the things that I want to offer to um the viewers and just you know i know people are losing hope and losing faith but we can't we can't we have faith in the easter bunny we ain't never seen him and bunnies don't lay no damn eggs sure. we have faith in santa claus we ain't never seen him come through nan chimney yet we leave cookies and milk out we ain't never seen nan tooth fairy but yet, every time we lose a tooth as a child, we stick that pillow, that tooth under that pillow. So you can look at it as negative. I'm looking at it as we were trained as kids to have faith. 
that's something that we got out of as adults. So I am just pleading with everybody to continue that. If you think about that and the things that a man made, that traditions that we believe in, never seen them. Let's believe in something greater that we've never seen right. before and stand for that and be a part of the change. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Tip. Sorry. All right, Dion, Cool, cool, cool. Well, y'all, again, thank you so much for uh, watching our Born Guilty. We're so grateful and honored for not only our uh, panelists, but our viewers that took the time out of their day to uh, just come and show love with us. So, y'all, you know what? If you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And we are grateful for you guys. And um, this your girl, Tiffany Tuton, baby. And this is Miss Iconic, the hostess that always does, the absolute mostest. And today I'm doing the mostest with J.D. Gallup and Isla Russell, not to mention my girl Two-Tone. We are so thankful, y'all.